this isn't neutral. This isn't objective. This isn't a meritocracy. Like this is a, a very intentionally designed system. And so the criteria that's used, the people who are around the table making decisions, what people see as valuable or not, despite being half the population, women's health is still sometimes viewed as a niche market. But that has everything to do with your perspective, your lived experience, right? Like your point of view. And so those are the types of numbers that we're up against. So welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and opened doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat, how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap, and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture, change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to today's episode of How Women Inspire. The CEO of Rhea Ventures is here today. She's a social entrepreneur in residence with Common Futures, a past fellow with equitable access to capital markets in the FAIR finance portfolio at the Beck Center, Beck Center, Beck Center for the social, uh, great, for social impact and innovation at Georgetown University. She's a strategic leader and has a proven track record on all things advancing gender and racial equity through impact investing, policy, and practice. As CEO of Rhea Ventures, she oversees direct investments in early and growth stage companies with a goal of creating a vibrant U.S. sexual, reproductive, and maternal health market that produces just outcomes for all, just justice. Erica has worked in nonprofits and philanthropy for more than 20 years. Erica, what a treat to have you with us today. I am so honored, so aligned with everything you believe in, and I just can't wait to get into it. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I um, was looking forward to this, and I appreciate the opportunity to chat. Can we just start with something fun? What is that song that lifts you up? 
or is your celebration song in the good times or maybe helps you in the days that you need a little lift? So I have a favorite song. It's Lovely Day by Bill Withers. So that was the song that I played when I was headed to the hospital to have my, my son. It's the song I played when I was headed to the hospital to have my daughter. It's a song I play for them. And it really does inspire me because it's just, you know, Start with it. when I look at you, I know it's going to be a lovely day. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. And so those are the two human beings who inspire me most. And so at some days you just need to just know it's going to be a lovely day. Yeah. So that would be I love that. And it's so interesting. I have, I've been uh, leading women's organizations for my whole life. And I always felt like when people would tell me they're having their first baby, some people are like, oh no, how are we going to get the work done? And I'm like, great, because I love to hire strong women that are really type A fiery. And it's like, when you have children, it helps you have perspective. And I always felt like you'll sustain longer here with me if you actually (laughs) have a family. No, really, because it gives you perspective. And it's that place that just like grounds you and like, what is really important? And so often 100%. in the work we're doing, it can feel life and death. It can feel like the urgency and boy, honey, I am so grateful for your leadership because the last year, 2022 was a test for all of us. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from you sort of maybe what are the leadership skills you pulled out the most last year and what was it like? been on the front lines in the way you are. It's such a unique position, right? Sure. So I'll, I guess I'll start with the the skills that I needed over the last year. And I would even say for me to a degree over the last three years, because a lot of my work was in focus in 2020, following George Floyd's murder and the, the racial reckoning in the United States at that time. And it seems like things haven't slowed with respect to issues of equity and justice. So whether we're talking about, I mean, we are, we're on the, yeah, we're we're feeling like one of our boys just died last week. One of our sons, right? I mean, yes. Yeah. That's a reproductive justice issue, right? Like we don't bring children into the world for them to be ripped out so violently. And the principle, the human rights basis of that movement and the idea that children should be able to grow up in safe, healthy environments, that the last words or the person he called for was his mother, right, was just heart-wrenching. And and it's an extension of this, this brutal system. I know it's a focus on policing, but it's all cut from a similar cloth that sees not every human being equally, and just this constant fight for our humanity. Um, So whether it's bodily autonomy, or just the ability to go home safely, is all wrapped up in this. And so I, I think just in terms of what it has required of me, or the leadership skills, one is a focus on ultimate objective and goal here, which is justice. And of course, that requires repair, that requires mitigating harm, that requires understanding what has come before to shape the current conditions. So making sure that I'm focused on that that long-term objective 
recognizing that something that I say often, I know I've heard it somewhere and I got to go back and find it. So I quote whoever said it properly, but my work is focused on planting seeds for trees whose shade I will not enjoy. I may not enjoy. It would be great, but that's, that's not, this is long-term work. Um, and so it's not a checklist. It is a, a, a lifetime of work. So it's just really never done. And, and I think that allows me to pace myself and that allows me to find joy as I need to, because you've got to have joy in this. Because what is this for if we can't exactly. find joy exactly. Um, exactly. in our own lives? So I think having vision and focus on that, that ultimate vision has been enormously helpful. And then also seeing the ways in which so many seemingly disparate ideas and issues actually are very connected mm-hmm. and making sure that those connections are made apparent to to others around me as well. I love hearing this from you. So much of my focus is how do we help social impact leaders be sustainable? And you just gave us a beautiful part of the roadmap. And, And so thank you for that. Thank you for that because you are doing some of the hardest work in our country right now. So knowing that you have strategies to sustain yourself really makes me happy. Are there other things that you're seeing out there when you think about planting the seeds, right? Like what is, is it racial and gender justice? What is the, what is that long, that's the tree whose shade we, we want to be under. <laughs> You've heard me say it before. My goal is for you to run the world. And let me tell you why. It's not just because I think you're fabulous, badass, and you know that I do. It is actually protective for all of us. When you have diversity on a board, for example, product recalls happen three times faster. Companies perform better. It's better for people, it's better for profits, and it's better for the planet. We need you to join a corporate board and we need you to know when to advocate for it in your day job. October 16th through the 20th, How Women Lead is hosting our extremely successful fourth annual Get On Board Week. This week is full of virtual programming, content rich, but also connecting, connecting, connecting. And we know 85% of all board searches, they're word of mouth and through connections. We want to connect you with private equity firms that are seeking board members. We want to connect you with other women board members who've already done it, who are being tagged and can't take all the board seats that are coming their way. We will have board opportunities that we will share with you. Really, truly, this is our way to connect and propel you. This is one week, but what happens is people connect with people on LinkedIn or they create mastermind groups that they support each other all year long. I want you to step up and be part of the solution. My daughter needs you on the board. But I also want to inspire you to think about all the women around you where you can be the person who inspires her and says, I see you on a board. I think you should be on a board. Check it out. Come and explore. Invite 10 friends. Tell them that you believe in them. It's the greatest gift you can give. Somebody did it for you. And I want to encourage you to do it for another woman. I look forward to seeing you at Get On Board Week so we can get thousands of women on boards this year 
our focus beyond the private boards that we've always focused on. We're adding the private board space. It's time. Thanks for your partnership. Send the letter back down and help another woman get into action. Right. It's interesting because coming into this work focused on reproductive maternal health equity at, at, that we do at RIA in, in a number of, of ways, I'd say we leverage capital. Like that's fundamentally what we do to advance reproductive and maternal health equity. So knowing that that's the aim and, and also my background work that I have been doing was around racial equity and racial justice. And so my point of view is and has been that unless we solve for the ways in which people who have been like pushed farthest to the margins are experiencing society opportunity access, we cannot solve for anything else, right? And so when we look back at the history of our country to see who that has been systematically over time, like that's what requires our focus and naming in this country and in this context we have to be clear about addressing anti-Black racism, and we have to be clear about the ways in which that system created ways of racializing other groups and othering groups. And so this isn't who's suffered more, it's uh, what got created and how is it created and how do we then address it. And so for me, that is the path um, that we need to understand, like we need to kind of understand how do we get here. So when, for example, the first article about the 1619 Project came out, you know, a couple of years ago, I was so excited because I was like, it's never been kind of put in the mainstream this way, right? right? Like there've always been historians and economists and thinkers, cultural critics, you know, I think of like James Baldwin, I think of all these people, Black feminists who've thought about and ruminated on and written about all of this, but to have it in one place, have it in the New York Times and kind of in the main was a pretty significant accomplishment. And I think, was essential because so many people think like, oh, well, that was so long ago. No, it is very, oh my <laughs> God. very present. Right. right. Uh, yeah. When anybody who tries to act like somehow there's not, it, there's no meritocracy today in, no, no, I mean, no. it's just not. And so, um, so you're connecting capital to people who are solving mm-hmm. solutions. So is there more capital today than there would have been 20 years ago? Like, is there a, a moment here with a surge of opportunity <laughs> or is it a dribble? That's a great question. So (laughs) it requires like so much context. So yes, there is opportunity. There's always opportunity to do more, do better. That said, there has never been enough capital that has been deployed to women's health. What is the percentage? (laughs) I mean, I can quote the percentages for women, women of different races and ethnicities, Uh but what for women's health, what percentage of all that? So um, the last, I think, oh gosh, the last stat that I was looking at, I think it was um, less than 2% of roughly 2% of of VC funding for healthcare was directed for women's health. And what percentage of the economy? That is a great question. I don't that <laughs> okay. Sorry, that. I'm not trying to quiz you. No, that's like, fine. But what I can tell the George down, like you know, <laughs> there's a there's a, there is a stat that's relevant here with respect to who controls capital, right? right. And, and it explains why that number is what it is. Oh, and about it. look at the broader asset management industry, right? Like as a whole, and there was a stat that had it about 82 trillion dollars in in terms of uh, assets under management. Less than one and a half percent of that is in the hands of 
people of color and women-owned asset management firms. And when you look where capital flows and who has access and who doesn't, it kind of matches up. And so this isn't neutral. This isn't objective. This isn't a meritocracy. Like this is a, a very intentionally designed system. And so the criteria that's used, the people who are around the table making decisions, what people see as valuable or not, despite being half the population, women's health is still sometimes viewed as a niche market. But that has everything to do with your perspective, your lived experience, right? Like your point of view. And so those are the types of numbers that we're up against. So when a fund like RH Capital, which is the venture fund subsidiary of of ReAventures, is in existence and has a like celebrating this close, it yeah. absolutely should celebrate the the close at 30 and a, 38 and a half million for, for fund two. When stacked up against the sheer volume of VC funding for anything, we have a long way to go. Yeah. So, uh, you know, two things can be true at the same time. So yep. it can be true. It's an amazing feat. The the team at RH Capital has done tremendous work and will you know deploy capital to some incredible companies bring innovation to market. And there should be bigger <laughs> and more yeah. funds that yeah. are similarly um, situated. Well, and so. women have more wealth than we've ever had before, but we're not playing in venture. And so to me, going and asking some group of men behind closed doors that their whole foundation is based on pattern recognition and who they trust, we're not going to convince them to start investing in Black women or women of color run healthcare solutions. They, it's too far, even if it's for women in general. And they're like, oh, let me go talk to my wife or my daughter. It's like, <laughs> They're not a venture capitalist. How does that have anything to do? Like venture capital is really, it's not, yeah, you have to trust the leader, but the rest of it, you can put on paper and look at the numbers. Like you put in a spreadsheet Mm -hmm. for the most part. So it's not really subjective. So anyway, that's my soapbox. All right, dear. What are the biggest innovations you're seeing? What are the the things that we all might be seeing come down the pipeline of women's reproductive and other sort of healthcare resources? So, so I'll talk about a little bit about that, but also talk about like the innovations, the way that we do what we do. So um, sometimes I think that can be an innovation, right? Especially when decision-making has been concentrated in the hands of a few, just actually broadening who is influencing how resources flow or the expectations around what you do with your capital. I think that can be an innovation too. And so just in terms of some of the the opportunities, there's a lot more investment and movement in, in menopause, which was off the radar for years, but now there's some energy around menopause. There's more interest in contraceptive technologies. So with the Dobbs decision, suddenly people became concerned about what their options were with respect to contraception and knowing that that may be under threat as well. So what are some of the resources that are being dedicated to contraceptive technologies, including men's contraception? And then also some digital health platforms. So digital health got a boost during the pandemic with uh, telemedicine and the inability to be in person, to be seen in person or to engage with your um, healthcare provider in person. And so we've seen obviously far more digital health access platforms that are emerging on the market. And some of them are really focused on um, populations who have been hardest to reach or suffering from the greatest disparities with respect to their health. So I'm thinking about maternal health disparities. So I'm thinking about whether it's geography, 
yeah. or the uh, the effects of medical racism and bias in systems or lack of access to insurance, um, the ways in which we can reach people um, is changing substantially, um, again, with, with telehealth and these digital access platforms. So I think those are probably some of the Excellent. things that are... Excellent. Yeah. Well, and there's so many holes in the space. I mean, we have a grants program at How Women Lead, and we funded a Black Women's Health initiative that was run by this OBGYN in UC Berkeley, who started, she became the head of public health, and she got the reports and found that UC, like Berkeley, the city of Berkeley, I shouldn't say UC Berkeley, in Berkeley, the city, the city of Berkeley had the highest rates of poor outcomes for Black women in the United States, and found that it was literally double what it was in other cities of its size, and it's four times worse outcomes than for white women, and ultimately she found it was racism. So anything that you can do to fill those, tighten it up, fill the gaps, make it less subjective. We got a long way to go. All right. Well, I think we've covered, you know, the venture and the solutions and the moment in time. Let's talk about you as a leader (laughs) a little bit more. Are there moments or milestones in your career that prepared you for this? Probably. (laughs) I think it's interesting looking back, there were moments where I actually had to be pushed into the next opportunity ah. wasn't always an obvious next step. And who does trusting. that for you? Who, t- who pushed you? <laughs> well, one case, it was my employer. It was like, this isn't working. <laughs> so, and, you know, it was a shock and it was like, oh, my ego. But at the same time, he wasn't wrong. And that opportunity gave me enough insight and taught me enough to take into the next opportunity, which flourished and became what really what it is that I do even to this day and thinking about the intersection of racial equity and impact investing. And so I would say there have been moments that felt hard and less than shining and things that, you know, you don't want to talk about all the time, but really they were the the catalyst for the next opportunity because looking back, either I would have tried to make a thing work that really just wasn't going to fit or I would have become comfortable and complacent and not taken a chance. Um, and so sometimes you do actually have to be pushed in ways that may just not feel comfortable. <laughs> isn't, I mean, throughout our lives, isn't discomfort what happens before growth? I don't know anybody who's gotten to a role like your role, which is both so unique in this country. Like there's nobody else doing what you're doing, right? I mean, <laughs> that are in your ecosystem, but you are a standout, Erica, in the work you're doing and how you do it. So of course, there's no way you were born ready for this. You had to grow, you had to learn, you had to, you had to tighten up your focus. And so when you think about the young, I'm going to say young women who are out there coming up in this space, like what advice do you have for them if they're having a bump in the road? One, I would say um, have the belief in your capabilities and your competency. So even when those bumps come and they come for various reasons, like all kinds of reasons, the thing that you shouldn't question is your competency, your capability, because when you start to do that, that's when you you take no chances and you start to fold in on yourself. So I would say that that should be off the table. And that doesn't mean we don't have things to learn. It doesn't mean that there's nothing to develop, but even in acknowledging that is still can also be acknowledging like I am a competent professional. I know how to to move forward even when I hit hit a bump in the road. And so just that fundamental belief in yourself, I think is 
really important. And that's the the resilience. And I guess when people refer to strength, that's really what it is. It's like, do you still have the the ability to believe in yourself, regardless of what's kind of happening around? I think it would be a huge one. And then also understanding what your purpose is. And I say purpose, maybe I mean mission, like your personal mission. But I'm very early in my life. I'd say I was about 19. It became clear for me what it was that I wanted to do. I didn't know how, but it is a thread uh, throughout my career. Really, anybody that has worked with me will tell you, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But it is that personal mission is to improve the material conditions of Black people and Black communities. And because of that clarity, I know what it is that I'm trying to get done wherever it is that I am. Beautiful. Um, so, That's so clear. I, yes. There it is. <laughs> Like everything centers around that unapologetically. Thank you for that. Where are we going to see you in five years? Like, if, you know, what do you, what do you see into the future? I mean, obviously oh. you, you're a mom and there's so many parts of you, but what are some of the things that, that you're looking forward to? Oh gosh. I'm looking forward to expanding our work. So bigger funds, more money to deploy. (laughs) (laughs) Looking forward to that. Um, Looking forward to, because at that point in five years, we'll be sort of emerging from our strategic plan. So we're about to release our strategic plan for the next three years. So we'll be, you know, kind of looking back at what we were able to get accomplished. So yes, more money, more funding in the women's health. I hope to see more types of capital, more types of funding happening as well, right? So venture is but one tool, but we need catalytic capital in this space, right? Like every idea isn't suited for venture funding and that's okay. It's not that the ideas are insufficient. It's like the ways in which we can fund ideas is insufficient. So how do we think about not just a bigger fund at RHC, but what are other vehicles that could be created that are going to catalyze even more opportunity in this space? So Mm -hmm. I think that would be another thing I'd love to see in five years. And that more companies like take this work seriously, fundamentally, that everybody's like, yeah, we can't do this well unless we're solving for this. <laughs> we can't do this well unless, unless we're, we're all on track. shaky ground until we get this figured out. So thank you very much for the work that you're doing and taking time with us today. Where can people find you on social media? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm looking, you know, if you just look up Erica Seth Davies, I'm on LinkedIn. I actually took sort of step back from social media, right? Like I used to be on Twitter and step back from that and, and Instagram. So LinkedIn is primarily where I am these days. Just give myself a little bit of a break. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's, I think that's wise, <laughs> you know, if you're going to show up like you are today, clear and bright and positive, it's hard to do that. Sometimes you get it caught up in all that all the chaos that you can see in some of those platforms. On behalf of all of us, thank you for your amazing work, your clear purpose and commitment and the inspiration you've given us today. Thank you, Erica. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for your work and for your leadership. I, you know, you didn't ask, but one of the things and one of the ways that I've come to this community in particular is through the, the cohort, the Reproductive Health Rights of Justice cohort. And that amazing community of leaders of women has been so inspiring. And that is another thing that has sustained me over this last oh, year is being able I'm to be so in community. I'm so glad to hear that. I think so often, and this is sort of, I know you know this, but this is sort of one of the core tenets is it is so hard to lead without support. And we're also isolated. And we think I'm here to help everyone else. And that's, you know, that's the mission kind of work that we're doing. So 
Thank you for investing in yourself. So you will sustain and we will see you five to 10 years from now in the world that you're in. Absolutely. That's right. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.